0: Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you love us so very much. And we just ask that you would give us a sense of that deeper and more deeply. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, we came back from Christmas vacation and we walked into our house and we had virtually no food in our kitchen, in our refrigerator. You know how that goes? Like, we were away for a couple weeks, and so we said to ourselves, it was actually Christmas night. It was the afternoon of Christmas, and we said to ourselves, well, what are we going to eat for supper? And so um, one very easy, quick thing that we do sometimes, and this is kind of like a confession, and some of you all have your various opinions on different pizza, but we, Little Caesars is really cheap, and it's like the one little pizza that we actually all agree is tolerable in our family. So, um, so we, we, I went on the app, on the Little Caesars app, and I, um, it said that it was open. And I was like, oh, okay, this is great. It's Christmas, but this restaurant is open. And so I placed a quick order, and it charged my credit card. And I, I said, okay, this is great. And so I went over to Little Caesars a few minutes later, and I get over there, and sure enough, there's no lights on. The place was closed. And I was just like, oh, man, you got to be kidding me. And, you know, it was Christmas, so it shouldn't have been too surprising. But their app said it was open, and I drove all the way over to Brewer, you know, from Bangor, which is a good, you know, seven-minute drive and then a seven-minute return. And it was – I think the weather may have been less than ideal, if I remember correctly, but maybe not. Um, But anyway, so I came back, and and I was like, man, what am I going to do now? And so I tweeted Little Caesars out, as all sane people would do. You tweet people, you know. I got – I got a free subscription to Christianity Today magazine I mentioned last week, right, by tweeting. So that's the trick, guys. That's the trick. Get on Twitter. Anyway, so I tweeted them out and whatever. So the next day, I got refunded almost immediately. The the store manager um, had refunded us. But fool me once, we decided that we were going to have Little Caesars for lunch instead. And so we placed our order, and I went over there, and uh, I... I, I, the pizza was ready, and the man said, actually, I need to talk to you about something. We, um, we saw that you ordered pizza last night. We didn't have any, and so uh, we weren't open. Something went wrong, and so I just wanted to let you know I refunded you. And I said, okay, that's great. Well, at Little Caesars, they have these little dipping sauces. And uh, other times I've gone in there, and they have just given me those dipping sauces for free. And so I figured maybe they're free. And so I said to him, oh, can I have these dipping sauces? And he says to me, no, they will cost you money. Now, as I was standing there in my head, you know what I was processing? I was processing, you know what? I drove all the way over here last night only to find out that my pizza wasn't here. And then I drove all the way back. And in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, why don't I simply say to him, why don't you throw in the dipping sauces for free since I went through all the ha- hassle of coming over here last night? And so as I stood there, I opened my mouth and I said, okay. And I took my pizza and I went back home. Now I share this because I don't like that about myself. I get nervous. I get nervous when there's potential conflict. And I actually hide and bury who I truly am to make other people feel more comfortable. Are any of you like that? I won't, you don't have to show, raise your hand, okay? Well, there's a few people that are willing to admit that. But I, I get anxious about how I look to other people. And this is not a secret to any of you, I'm sure, because I've shared this before, many times before. But, you know, this kind of gets to the core of one of our values, our third value as a church, as we've been going through the four values we have as a local Bangor Seventh-day Adventist church, and that is our third value is that of inclusivity and recovery. Inclusivity and recovery. As you and I, we're going to unpack a little bit as we go forward, but as you and I learn to become who we were created to be, as we learn to become who God has designed us to be so that we are not who other people want us to be, right? So notice this, this awesome story in the book of John. Some of you maybe have heard the story before. John was one of Jesus' closest followers. Of course, Jesus came about 2,000 years ago, and he walked on this earth, and, and, and people understood Jesus to actually be God. And so he was God in the flesh, walking around Palestine 2,000 years ago. And there's an experience he had, as the book of John explains, one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible, John records that Jesus went across to Mount Olives, but he was soon back in the temple again. He's there in Jerusalem, which was the capital of Israel. And he went into the temple again, and swarms of people came to him. He sat down, and he taught them. They wanted to hear what this teacher, this this man, who some of them agreed was God, others of them were trying to figure out who exactly is he, But he spoke with such amazing authority, and they were so impressed by what he said, and they were curious, and they were fascinated. And so they just came, and they listened to him, and and they said, man, this guy teaches in a way that nobody else has ever taught that we've heard before. And so he sat down, and he taught them. And then look what happens. The religion scholars, those who are the real experts in the Bible... The religion scholars and the Pharisees, they were the other men who went around and and proclaimed what God told people that they should do. They led in a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Now, of course, people have speculated, how in the world did they catch somebody in the act of adultery? That's a pretty personal thing to be able to come across, right? But they caught her in the act of adultery, and they stood her in plain sight, of everyone and said, teacher, teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses, now they're referring to what is known today as the Old Testament, the parts of the Bible that come before Jesus, and they say Moses in the law gives orders to stone such persons, to actually take them and throw rocks at them until they are dead. Now, that raises a whole bunch of other questions in our minds. Why does the Bible allow for that? And we can get back to that. I'm always putting these things on the shelf, right? And I promise I'll come back to them, but then I probably never do. But we'll, we'll say we'll come back to that one another day, okay? But, but the Moses allowed us or told us to do this. And they say, what do you say? Because what they were wanting to do is to understand if Jesus was going was gonna to speak against the Bible, And it says, as it goes on to explain, they were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so that they could bring charges against him. See, they were trying to put Jesus in a dilemma. Either on the one hand, they were going to catch him saying, oh, no, it doesn't matter what Moses says, who was the great authority in their day, or, and of course, if he had said that, they would all be able to point to him and say, see, this guy doesn't believe in the Bible. Or, if he would say, oh, yeah, stone her, That was not permissible under Roman law, who were the people in charge at that time. So they would be able to take him and say, see, this guy is is commanding capital punishment. Well, notice what Jesus does. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. They kept Adam badgering him. He straightened up and said, the sinless one among you, go first, throw the stone. Another translation puts it this way. Another version says, he who is without sin among you. Whoever among you is perfect. Yeah, go ahead and start throwing stones at her. Bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. Hearing that, they walked away, one after another, beginning with the oldest. The woman was left alone. Jesus stood up. Now, according to the gospel writers. This is an amazing, amazing claim. The gospel writers, the people who wrote about Jesus' life, they actually said that he was sinless. He was without sin. So, by Jesus' own standards, he said, if any of you are without sin, throw the first stone. Was there anyone there who was sinless? There was, Jesus. So, we would expect vis-a-vis Jesus' own standards that he would begin to throw those stones at her. And you can imagine, if you're just there, that lady lying on the ground, bracing yourself for the onslaught. But Jesus stood and spoke to her, Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, Master, she said. And here are the most powerful words that human ears could hear. He said, Neither do I. Neither do do I, Jesus said. Go on your way. From now on, don't sin. See, Jesus was revealing God's heart of of forgiveness and love. And he was was communicating to this woman that God's posture, God's attitude, God's, God's view of the human situation is that he does not have condemnation for us. He does not have shame that he thrusts towards us. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, Jesus says, this is the picture of God that you should understand, is that God is a God who does not condemn sinners. God does not condemn and bring judgment against those who have messed up. You know, there's an expression that I like so many times to share with you, and we'll get to in a a second. But when we talk about inclusivity and recovery, we are a body, a a community, that practices inclusivity and recovery. And this is, if you were to go to our website, you would notice these two bullet points underneath it. We aim to be a church where every person who enters any circle, circle knows they belong everyone being themselves without judgment in all their brokenness and pain. We strive to be a community where every circle is a safe place to grow in grace at the Spirit's pace. So when you come into this building, when you sit down at one of these tables, when you, when you go with us into our home and you're sitting at our tables and we are, f- are, are fellowshipping together and we're eating together and we're talking together, or wherever we are, whether it's with a missional community, as we talked about last week, or whether it's us just hanging out at the beach together, or whatever it is, we know that we can be who we are without judgment. We know we can be who we are without condemnation only because we understand that God does not relate to us with condemnation. Jesus did not relate to this this woman who who had violated the law of Moses. Jesus did not relate to her as one who should be condemned. Jesus related to her as his child. Jesus related to her as one who could only grow and heal in the context of his love and grace. You see, some of us, we get kind of, some of us, who have been on this this, this shame based uh, approach for our lives? We get a little scared because we think, well, if you're not talking about what you're supposed to be doing, then nobody will ever do what you're supposed to do. But it's it's actually counterintuitive. A few weeks ago, a few years ago, I was sharing to um, a congregation, the Dexter congregation. And I said, God gives us permission to be imperfect, and I shared that, and some of the people were a little, they were a little upset about that. I said, whoa, 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 what what verse in the Bible does it say that? And I said, you have to understand that it's only as we are free to be who we are without judgment that we can actually become who God wants us to be. Think about it this way. I just thought of this analogy last week. If if your child, many of us have children, if your child was learning to walk, right? Remember that? Our little children learning to walk? If they perceived that we thought that they were never allowed to fall, would they ever learn to walk? They would never learn to walk. If we expected perfection from them, they would never learn how to walk because falling is actually, as finite human beings within the context in which we reside, falling is actually a necessary part of their growth. Growth and An idealistic understanding of perfection cannot go together. Because it's only as we embrace our imperfection and realize that it's only as God's perfection can be given to us that we can grow in maturity. And so God says to us, you are free to be who you are without judgment. Because that's as you feel safe, as you feel loved, as you feel embraced, that's how you and I grow up to be who God longs for us to be. There's this quote, the one I was alluding to a second ago. There is nothing more healing to the sinful heart than to be fully known and yet fully loved. There's something about that to be who we are, open ourselves up to share our vulnerability and our weaknesses and our pain. Where when we share that and we open up to somebody and we're bracing for condemnation, we're bracing for someone to make fun of us or laugh at us or, or tease us or whatever the case is. We're bracing for that and when they say, that's cool. You're still precious, you're still important, you're still valuable. There's something about that that actually has the capacity to heal us so that we can become mature children of God. It's almost counterintuitive. Some of us think it's the opposite. No, 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 that's just like, that's just sanctioning bad behavior, and that's, it's just the opposite. When God's grace fills our hearts, We know that we are precious and we are loved. It brings healing to us so that we can become who he wants us to be. And we pass it on to others. And guess what? When we are sitting there and we see somebody else come in and and not behaving the way that we think they should behave, we give up the right to judge because we have not been judged by God. And so if God has not judged us, we're not going to judge others. There's a book that Camille has been reading, some of others in this church have read, um, and she said, you've got to read this book, you've got to read this book, and so I've been reading this book, I'm almost done with it, some of our other ladies here have read it before, but it's talking about how when we, when we focus on other people, that's what we do a lot of times as religious people, we focus on other people's problems, and we think, oh, they have such a problem with this, they have such a problem with that. It's a way to avoid our own damage and our own brokenness and our own issues. And it's a way to try to alleviate the pain that we are feeling. And so the author of the book put it this way. She said, one of the nice things about any kind of other focus is that we will not experience the full impact of our own issues. So if I'm always looking at you, guess what? I don't have to deal with my own stuff, right? This was uh, brought home to me. You know, Camille and I we have basically the perfect marriage, but every, every once in a while, you know, things come up. But, um, and I'm probably the only one who's ever been married that has wanted to change some things about my spouse, right? So you guys got going to help me figure out how to not do that anymore. Uh, but no, but there's things that, that stress her out that, that I just think to myself, boy, it's so simple. You don't have to get stressed about that, right? And yet, this morning, I was just processing it. I was saying to myself, you know what? When Camille is stressed and anxious, I have no control over her. And the only thing, because I, I want to go start suggesting things to her. Like, oh, you know, if you just did it this way, right? If you just did it that way, if you just did it this way, what am I doing? I'm trying to fix her without dealing with my own stuff. And so I've come to realize that when Camille is stressed, it's not my job to start advising her on how to deal with her stress. I need to look inward and say, okay, how can I deal with my stress of Camille being stressed, right? Isn't that, that's just a simple one-on-one recovery little tip for you. But when we are secure in Jesus, we can look inward because, because we have security in him and not trying to get the approval of others. So the author goes on to say, but change occurs only as we begin thinking about and working on the self rather than staying focused on and reactive to the other. So you and I are a community together, and we want to create this environment where people can feel like they're included even before they say the right things, they wear the right things, they believe the right things, you know, this whole journey has been one of of learning for me because the old system of religion was people don't come up here until they have it all figured out. And you can't be somebody who speaks and somebody who, who shares. And yet, one of the turning points for us, and I was like, oh man, should we be doing this, is and I have referred to this a few times before, but when we had our friend Jose share his story, he, some of you may remember that. My, my friend Jose from Mexico, and he came up here, remember that? And he shared his story, and guess what? It didn't end with, and then I found Jesus, and everything's good in my life. The end of his story was, yeah, I don't know if I believe in God, but I really enjoy being here with this group of people. It's like, that, to me, you know, that would have been unheard of in my mind ten years ago but but you know that 's part of jose 's growing and healing and learning to 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 be loved and and to feel valued and so that 's what it means to be a community of people is that giving people space now now, would I not love for Jose to know Jesus like I know Jesus because i Jesus has been so good to me absolutely, but it 's not going to come vi me via, you know Via me saying, Jose, you got to know Jesus, you got to know Jesus, you got to know Jesus. It's just like, Jose, I love you no matter if you love Jesus or not. And that's what we are called to be as God's people, is to allow people the space to grow as the Spirit works on their hearts by His grace. So, just a little, one little more illustration of this. So, a few weeks ago, um, during vacation, Christmas vacation, um, we had some of the cousins. Uh, over at our house. And um, and uh, we had, like, Mabel and Daphne and Campbell, who is Camille's brother, Garrett's children. And I had been gone, and so when I came back, I noticed that little Winnie was sitting at the table pouting. And uh, I said, Winnie, are you okay? And she goes, oh, I'm just tired, or something like that. And so I um, I said, okay, that's fine. So the kids, the rest of the kids left a few minutes later, and then it was just Camden and Acadia and Winnie. And I was sitting there working, I think, on my, my talk for the following Sabbath. And I heard Camden and Acadia go up to Winnie. And they, they said to her, Winnie, you know, are you sad? They noticed that something was wrong with her. And, and bless her heart, she opened up to her siblings more than she did her dad. That's fine. I'm sure that's the way it's going to be for the rest of her life. But um, she said she actually, and I, I wonder if this was the case. Is she, you see, she has two cousins that are her age, Mabel and Campbell. And, you know, a trio is a, is a hard thing. And she says to, um, I overhear hear her say to Camden and Acadia, I think, I think Campbell likes Mabel more than me. And I was just, my heart just broke for her. And um, I'm like, what can you do about that? But you know what happened? No sooner did she share that with her brother and sister than a big smile came on her face. And she said, okay, let's go play. And they got up, and they went off and played. And I said to myself, that is a beautiful picture of what it means to be a, a community together that is experiencing recovery. Just verbalizing it for her, allowing herself to share it with somebody else—it was weighing on her heart. It was like healing to her. And you know, Camden and Acadia didn't say, "Oh, Wendy, that's stupid." You know, they—they they, they listened to her, and it just was enough to bring healing to her. And so, how can we be little Camden and Acadias? How can we be the people that? that listen to other people's stories, that bring them healing, not in some you know, humanistic way, but as God, God breathes into us, as he, as he pours his love into our hearts. How can we be those people? How can we be that community together? So, as I said, it's only as the love of Jesus comes into our hearts. And so, as we close, we're going to sing about the depth of the Father's love. And I know Debbie's going to run to get communion.